Hey everybody, welcome back to Adventures in Machine Learning. Today I'm your single host, Ben Wilson. Michael is uh, is on a work trip this week, uh, but he'll be back next week. And today on the podcast, we've got a, a special guest, Jesse Langford, who wrote this incredibly insightful post on betterprogramming.pub entitled, The Most Important Thing I Did to Become a Senior Developer. And as we were talking before we started uh, recording, we see posts like this all the time on various blog hosting websites. And you can see people write about very obvious you know, answers about like, hey, this is how you how you accelerate your career. And, and some of those things are paid services that, hey, if you just just send me a thousand dollars, I'll tell you how to how to short circuit everything and get get hired at, at a fang company. And most of them are garbage. But this one in particular, when I read it, I was like, man, this guy has it figured out. And not only is it well written, but the insights that are in there was one of the reasons why we really wanted to, to bring him on the show and, and have him talk about how this, this is not just focused on software engineering career paths, but also applied to any sort of technical path. And particularly to you know, ML engineering, ML ops professionals, and data scientists. So welcome to the podcast, Jesse. If, if you'd like to introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are and a little backstory. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, again, yeah, I'm Jesse Langford. Been a software developer for about five or five and a half years now. We're living in Hong Kong, pretty much been developing for the full time I've been here. Originally, I was uh, I started off as a golf instructor. That was my first real career. So not definitely not a I would say classically trained in any kind of uh, technology or anything, but decided to leave golf instruction maybe six or seven years ago and pursue a different career and ended up working out pretty well so far. So definitely mm-hmm. definitely happy that everything uh, everything went pretty well. But as of now, I am the uh, let's say the uh, lead front end developer at a small company called Paskit in Hong Kong. We are a digital wallet solution provider. So we basically give companies the ability to create, design, and distribute digital passes for Apple Wallet and Google Pay. So that's most of the work that I do. And, you know, in my spare time, I do quite a bit of writing and a lot of research and, you know, little side projects like that. But yeah, it's just a little backstory. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. It's a very interesting backstory. And in the article, you start off by talking from a perspective that is interesting, going from a back-end developer to a front-end developer and like how that process happened. What I'm really interested in is that transition that you made from your original career path to back-end development. How was that for you? 
And what process did you follow to effectively assimilate into that entire industry? Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty tough. It definitely helped by the fact that I was really pretty much fed up with my previous career. I did not, I I was not, you know, sad to leave it behind. I didn't really know what to do in that case. When I ended up leaving, I was I was living. I was a I was a golf instructor in Beijing for for about a year, and then that was when I just decided to leave. I went back, came back to the states, and I went to a boot camp in Boston. I did that for a few months. Sort of helped, I would say. <laughs> Maybe there are a few things that were definitely helpful, but I think most of what I learned was kind of thrown out. And when I you know first started working after the boot camp, I wanted to live in Hong Kong and you know come back to live abroad still. And I ended up getting an internship at the company that I work at now. And yeah, so after six months working there, then they decided to hire me on. But the, the, the main transition from, you know, golf instructor to software developer, most of what it was, was, you know, really total immersion and almost forgetting about everything else that there is to do with a lot of the other things that I was working on. I, you know, when I first started as an intern, I was working probably you know, like 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. And it was, it was quite difficult, mostly motivated by the fact that I was like 26 at the time. And I felt very much like I was behind the eight ball in terms of a career path. So the main motivation to at least get my feet underneath me in a backend developer kind of uh, environment was, I felt like I really needed to move quick because you know, I needed to get up to pace with everyone else at the time. And how did you find that with like in the the beginning time of getting into that profession? Like working as an intern is pretty stressful. Uh, You're like, oh, I've got to prove myself. And it's similar when you're starting a new job at a new company, moving into a new industry and and trying to learn is not too different than hey, I just got a job at this company as a as a developer, an ML engineer or whatever. And you kind of have to learn the landscape and you have to know who's who and you know, how how does the process work at this company for producing software products. But it must be a little bit daunting to come in and be like, hey, I, I have to learn fundamentals as well as how the process works. Yeah. And how, how did you do that in such a short period of time? I think a lot of it's had to do, I mean, I... I think my my previous experience in in golf probably helped a lot. Golf is quite difficult and it requires a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of I guess being okay with I don't want to say making mistakes, but being okay with not of maybe looking a little silly at first when you're first starting out. I think when I if I think back to my, you know, my first few weeks of uh of being at this internship, I specifically remember certain questions that I that I asked my my uh, my CTO and some of the other senior developers there. And looking back now, they were you know ridiculous questions. But I think at the time, I um, I mean, looking back on them now, it's a bit embarrassing to think about them. But I think my willingness to ask them, even though I you know I didn't really know what I was asking at the time, I think that contributes to my ability to at least learn things quickly because I was, I don't think I was ever really afraid to ask for, ask for help or to ask for guidance on anything, even if I didn't really know what it was. I wasn't, I was never afraid of looking, another way to say it, of looking stupid while, Mm -hmm. while I was first starting out. I'd say that that definitely helped a lot. But I was kind of hoping you would say that about golf as a sport preparing you because anybody who is 
that I've interacted with who plays it seriously or definitely who's teaching it to other people has learned very intimately the process of dealing with sort of a an egoless journey of knowing that the only way you're going to get better is by screwing stuff up, learning from that, adapting and putting in a ton of time and energy in a very focused way that's very detail-oriented about breaking down the mechanics of something. Getting okay at golf is not that hard. Getting good at golf is exceptionally hard. And you have to pay attention to a lot of things that most people who are playing it recreationally don't don't even consider. And I think the same could be said about learning something like back-end engineering. It's very detail-oriented. There's a lot of concepts to learn and understand. And I think how you phrase that is perfect. Uh, it's something that I use many times when I'm talking to junior people. Like, don't ever be afraid to, to feel dumb. Like, you shouldn't feel dumb. Ignorance is not the same as stupidity. And everybody who's in a position of seniority in a good technical engineering group recognizes that or should recognize that and treat people accordingly. I'm like, hey, it's, it's fine if you don't know these things. You shouldn't know these things. Like, how would you? And dealing gracefully with that in order to encourage people to continue to ask those questions so that they, they gain that understanding. And that, that's a huge market difference between stupidity, which is willfully ignoring knowledge that you already have. Ignorance is just, hey, a, a lack of knowledge. And I've always seen that be incredibly a successful task that people to undertake in highly specific technical paths in their career, where the people that ask the most questions without fear of being perceived as being an idiot or being just ignorant of something, they're the ones that do the best in their career. They're the ones that they get promoted faster because they're always in pursuit of egoless knowledge acquisition. So I think that's a really good, like an exceptionally good bit of advice. So when you're, whenever you're mentoring people in the future, outside of just writing articles, hopefully you're passing that on as well, because uh, it's it's a good story to tell. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think for the few the few junior developers that I've that I've had in the past in the past few years, I'd like to think that I've imparted that little bit of that knowledge onto them. I think I always, you know, I always let them know, don't you know, don't be afraid to to come to me for help. Don't be afraid, you know, if any question you have, you think it's dumb or not. I, I usually tell them, like, I, you know, I used to be a golf instructor. If I can do this, you can certainly figure it out as well. I usually, I usually use that as like a don't feel like you don't belong because you might not know something or that maybe you didn't start off thinking about this one way and then you came back to it another way that's, you know, I came from somewhere completely different and I was able to make it work. So there's no reason you shouldn't be able to as well. Yeah, it reminds me of... Probably one of the funnier questions that I got a, a really interesting interaction from when I first got into data science and ML and, and software. This is going on 14 years ago. So I came from uh, a manufacturing engineering background. So dealing with, you know, we did air quote, quote you know, code things, but it was more like programmable logic controllers. We're writing recipes into machines, lots of spreadsheets, master of Excel back in the day. And when I got my first analytics job, which today would be called data science work, I remember writing a, a bunch of, you know, I taught myself how to write scripts and like, hey, I'm going to automate this analysis and I'm going to write some some scripted code that builds this linear regression model to predict this this thing. And I remember checking in with one of the developers that were was on the the parent team that I was attached to. 
And I was like, hey, I got my code ready. It's working great. Where are we going to run it? And I remember the guy looking at me and, and just kind of like, what are you talking about? You wrote that in a like in a, a proprietary scripting program that just executes instruction sets. I'm like, yeah, it works great. It's 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 awesome. Like, can you can you just schedule this to run? And he's like, you can schedule cr- like a cron thing on your laptop if you want. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. What's cron? And he <laughs> gave me this look. He's like, what? What are you talking about? And then he explained it to me. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So like like an alarm clock, cool. And he's like, yeah, you don't you don't really want to do that. You want to run this code in in a production system. And he's like, all you got to do is check in your your script to this web address and you know just follow along it'll work and if you get stuck here's a a readme guide and i remember going into an early early version of uh of github and pushing code to a directly to a master branch um nice (laughs) and uh and i was amazed at like how everything worked and i remember going back to his his desk and I was like, hey, Scott, this is incredible what you guys have built. Like, what a, an amazing tool. You know, you can check history on your code. Like, how long did it take you guys to build this? And that that one interchange stuck with me for the next four and a half years working at that at that company. Uh, that story was retold hundreds of times. And I was actually kind of proud of it. I'm like how ignorant I was thinking that that company, that small team of, of a dozen developers built Git. And that's what really sticks with you. And and being able to tell those stories to junior people would be like, hey, I know you think that I know everything, you know, because I've been doing this for so long. Let me tell you what I didn't know back in the day. And here's a funny story for you to remember. And then it helps cut the tension with them of realizing that, oh, the people that I look up to as mentors, they were just like me. And I need to be fearless like they were to ask these ridiculous questions that they're going to learn from. Yeah, I know that. I know that look. I know that really well. <laughs> I still have some of those where I'll be, you know, I'll be just walking around, uh, walking around during the day, just doing normal stuff. And then I'll just remember the question that I asked and then just get that feeling. Oh, I can't believe I asked that. <laughs> I can't believe I asked the question. And I still remember the look on everyone's faces. They all kind of turned and looked at me when I said it. Oh. <laughs> My favorites are the ones that just cause people to burst into laughter and I haven't had you not those. getting it. But I bet I bet I've had some that come close. <laughs> so in that process, when you you made this transition and what this this blog post was written about that I find so fascinating is you go from a back end engineering position as a senior back end dev, and you've done that for years. You've mastered a lot of these like the infrastructure and architecture of your your company's back end and and have been maintaining and implementing features. And then somebody says that you need a new front end for for your service what made you want to volunteer for that and what was what was going through your head and your gut when you said hey i'll do that at the time the the team that we had was very back-end heavy so i think everyone all the other people that were you know working on it were i was good at the back end but everyone else the other people that were working were you know more senior than me and they were, you know, a lot better at it. And it just felt, to me, it felt crowded at the time. And I still felt like I was somewhat new in my, I guess, software development exploration in terms of the actual industry and the different parts that you work with. And, at the, and I had done a few front end pieces of work. They were just at the time, they were just really simple jQuery applications. It's just a 
you know, an mm-hmm. HTML file and a JavaScript file and then you host that somewhere and it does a really small job for a client or something. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. And I was looking for kind of a new challenge and a new place to kind of get into. And I just felt like the back end was maybe not, didn't have as much room to expand as the front end might have. And I didn't, I didn't mind the front end. And part of me also felt like it just felt like an opportunity to become more valuable as well, because nobody wanted to touch it. I, I briefly mentioned this in the article, but all the back end developers at the company, they wouldn't go near the front end because of, you know, the, the nature of, you know, the circus that it can become when it gets to be, you know, when it comes like larger applications are just, they're, they're a mess. It's, it's really difficult to, I guess, to really, you know, get everything all together and working with, you know, all the different things that can happen. And they were just, they wanted nothing to do with it. So it, to me, it felt like a good, a good place to learn and also to become more valuable in the company I was at at the time. That was probably, that was the main, the main motivation for, for why I wanted to do it. I didn't hate front end development at the time. I'd never touched any, any of the larger uh, frameworks or libraries like, you know, Angular, React or Vue. I really just had experience in, you know, vanilla JavaScript and jQuery. So mm-hmm. part of it was also like, I, I had no idea what I was asking for. Looking back, I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know what I was, I had no idea what I was stepping into. I, I sometimes wonder if my bosses were like, he has no idea what he's asking for. Like, he's going to, he's, you know, he's going to be in and out in a little while. Like, he's going to come back to the back end pretty soon, but I ended up taking to it pretty well. And I mean, I definitely, I still enjoy it working on it, you know, today. And I think my, the bosses that, you know, I still have is, you know, they're, they're the same guys. I think they're very, you know, they're very happy to have me around to, you know, take on that, that kind of work that, you know, they don't want anything to do with. Yeah. And it puts you in a, in an interesting position, something that you mentioned in, in your statement just now, where you felt like looking back at that time, you're like, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I see that a lot with people that are, that express an interest to learn a new, sort of a new fundamental area of technology. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Like back end and front end are remarkably different, but they still share a lot of sort of similarities. I mean, code structure is, is quite different, but... You still have the concept of abstraction and code structure in general. When you're looking at, you know, JS libraries or, or TypeScript, they seem similar to functional and object-oriented programming. You can generally read them if you're a back-end developer. Maybe not build them or, or maintain them, but you can usually figure them out. But what I have seen with some people is trying to get into ML, uh, the ML space from usually from a non-developer perspective. 
like somebody coming from BI and analytics, and they're like, hey, I want to be a data scientist. And some people are really fearful of that. They're like, wow, I, I think I know what, what's involved here, and that this is going to be a probably years of my life dedicated to just learning this. And then there's some people that are like, hey, it's, it's not going to be so bad. It's going to be an adventure. And, and hey, it'll be something new to learn. How did you go from that that perspective of of being optimistic about that that change to realizing and working through the incredible amount of depth that you needed to learn to build to learn everything that you you have mentioned on the on your on this blog post react node go i mean these are all different framework libraries and an entirely different language and be able to actually implement all that stuff what sets a mentality apart that can go through that realization of oh i just got in over my head and succeed versus one that oh i i really don't want to do this i'm going to bail out and go back to doing what i was doing yeah i think well one of the things at least for me that really helped was i had a lot of practice with you know getting in over my head just initially so i think one you know one of the things that i like to do whenever i'm working with a junior developer now is if they ask me to or if they want to get involved with something i'll usually just let them try it out and see how it goes because in my own life i've had i guess my own mentors or my own people around me have allowed me to do that and i think that the you know the end result has always been good because initially when i first moved to beijing to be a golf instructor i was i was 23 at the time i had never really been outside of the united states before and i remember going to my parents and telling them like i've applied to a job to go live in you know beijing for the foreseeable future. I had no, you know, I didn't buy a return ticket when I left and they were like, okay, you can go. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting myself into then either. And, you know, I was able, I was able to get through that. So I, I definitely had practice getting myself into really tough spots and then having to, having to find a way out. I think to me, the mindset that I, that I was in with the front end was, or when I was, you know, really getting myself into it was really tried. I didn't really look too much at the opinions of, of others in a lot of ways. Cause I've, I think when I first started out, I've read a good amount on what goes into the front end development. And there were a lot of, I think a lot of people that said, don't do this or don't do that or don't go down this road. Don't do this, that or the other thing. And, to me, I didn't really, I wanted to find it all out for myself. I didn't want to listen too much to what other people had done in that case. I think a lot of, a lot of the things that I, that I read said, you know, don't, you know, don't do online courses. Online courses aren't going to do anything for you. And to me, some of the most helpful things I've ever done or some of the most helpful pieces of work that have ever, you know, contributed to my learning for the front end were courses that I found on Udemy. That mm-hmm. I just, you know, I went online, I, I found one that was like a complete guide on how to build a front end application. And, you know, I went through it. And I think those were some of the ones that were the most helpful. Like I really wasn't, uh, I didn't really discount or throw out any kind of anything that could help. So I did, you know, I did online courses, looked at YouTube, I built my own small applications from, uh, I guess, demos that you could find just through Google searches, I read I read documentation. I asked uh, other senior front-end developers that I knew for advice. I think I just completely just threw out any any preconceptions or any any kind of naysayer advice that I might have you know read along the way because that's that's what got me through 
through my time in China. I mean, if I had asked people, you know, is this a good idea or what should I do? I don't know if I would have made it, <laughs> made it through there. I, the only way for me to really do it was to just try everything that I could and, you know, see, see what worked and what's, you know, what got me through it the best. I don't know if that, does that make sense? That makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. And that attitude is something that I've, I've seen be successful in so many people's careers in the world that I'm in now of people that are just, it's not willful. It's not like a willful ignorance of, of going through. It's a humble willfulness of saying, I don't know this. I'm fine with the fact that I don't know this. I don't, I'm going to ignore any of my irrational potential fears that, that come up about people's perception of my skills based on what I'm working on right now. And what some people call learning it the hard way, which is self-taught and self-paced and making mistakes and fixing them yourself. I've seen all people that do that. And I mean, that's exactly how I went through my career as well. The long litany of things I have screwed up is far lar larger than the list of things that I've done successfully. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's really difficult for a lot of people to go down that path. Because psychologically, I think a lot of people are fearful of that. They're like, oh, I don't want to feel stupid or I don't want a, other people to look at me like I'm an idiot. And I think a lot of people that convince themselves of that or that tell other people and give them advice like, hey, this is not going to be good for you. You're not going to be able to figure this out or like, I would never do that. And if you listen to that, that anecdotal, you know, non-evidence-based advice from people or that internal you know, voice that a lot of people have, uh, it really holds people back from expanding their horizon and learning new things. And the, the people yeah. that, that don't pay attention to that are the ones that go through that journey. And, and that brings me to something that we were talking about before we started recording was, was something I really want to hear your perspective on about Dunning-Kruger syndrome and, and that effect that pretty much everybody goes through in some way or another. I think it's misinterpreted a lot. Uh, that I've read uh, of people talking about it of, well, Dunning-Kruger just means that idiots think they're really good at things. And that that's not how that that study went. It's it's analyzing a human's journey through knowledge and, and the bias that we place and, and everybody's subject to it unless you're consciously fighting against it, which is when you don't know something at all, it seems like magic. When you know a little bit about something, you have an overinflated opinion of your skill in that that others might not share on on peer review of your skills and then as you learn more about it you start to feel very overwhelmed and rather incompetent at that that task or that that knowledge base because you realize like okay i've learned this much so far now i know how much more there is to learn to become an expert in this and then somewhere in that journey your psyche will flip where as you start gaining mastery in a, in a subject or a topic or a skill, you start getting the, the incorrect impression that everybody that you see who you don't personally know, but you just get this impression that everybody's involved in this thing that you're doing is either is generally like better than you at that thing. And that's how most experts see themselves as like, yeah, I'm okay at this thing, but there's so many people that know this and even people who are sort of collectively known as an expert in this topic by many, many people, they generally self-rate themselves as not being very proficient. And people that are that are amateurs at this thing rate themselves high, like self-rate themselves higher than, than an expert rates themselves. 
Yeah. So how would you how would you talk through that process of like did how, did you go through that that sort of journey with the back end development with golf and with front end or were you one of the rare people that could say no I'm I'm fine. No, I skipped the whole thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I can probably map this out pretty well, at least for myself. I think when I, you know, when I very first started out, I felt like I was, you know, just knew, knew nothing at all because I definitely knew nothing. And I can, to me, I think when I fell into that initial category of you think you know a lot, I can also see this in, or I've, I feel like I've kind of, I can gauge this pretty well in some of the junior developers that I've that I've worked with, I can kind of see when they're kind of at that level as well, because it matches myself. This is another somewhat shameful thing that, or kind of thing that I look back on and I cringe at my own things that I've said, but it's usually to me when I was to that point was when I was, uh, I would, I would criticize the code of someone else to one of my bosses or kind of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, make fun of it or basically say like, Oh, can you believe the code that he wrote? Or can you believe, you know, I'd point, you know, point out some function that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work that well or was written in most, most often it was written in a way that was more clever than I was. And I thought it was wrong and it was right. Mm -hmm. But there were times when, you know, when I was very first starting out, I feel like that was when I'm at the point of, I feel like I know more than I do when I'm confident enough to criticize someone else's code. Thankfully, I have grown out of that. And I never do it, <laughs> but I notice in in junior developers as well. Like I sometimes they'll they'll bring that to me, and I can kind of see it in my own mind. Like, oh, I know where you are. Like I kind of know where you're at <laughs> in this. And to me, when I grew out of that was when I first, or when I first kind of realized how little I know was when I my work was finally getting pushed to production, or when I was finally putting stuff out in the real world, because before that everything was, it was not really me that was pushing stuff to production. It was, you know, someone else was, you know, really responsible for it. Or I, or I was only working on very small stakes kind of things that were not really that, maybe not that big or impactful. But as soon as it was me was that was, uh, or it was, I guess, my full responsibility, or it was, you know, larger things that I was, you know, moving to production on my own and then watching them break and then... <laughs> <laughs> having to fix them at you know, like two in the morning, having to fix them because, you know, something, you know, had gone horribly wrong was really when, you know, the kind of the harsh reality of, oh, you really don't know that much about this. You don't know as much as you think, you know. And now I think when you get to like that final point, when you think everyone else around you is an expert, I mean, if I'm talking to, you know, either my CTO or some of the other senior developers that I know, you know, I'm thinking a lot about times like, oh, all the things that I've messed up or all the things that I know that are currently messed up that are in production or things that I've, you know, signed my name to that are wrong. I, I kind of think like, there's no way any of these people have messed up as much stuff as I have. So I think maybe, I don't know if that kind of outlines the different steps for that well enough, but to me, that's, that's how my, that's how my brain would kind of do all the different steps of not knowing anything, thinking I know a lot thinking that I don't know that much and then thinking that everyone else knows more than I do. Yeah. And it's interesting that once somebody in the, their career in tech in particular, once they recognize that, that pattern, when they move into something that they're not comfortable with, you know, you mentioned it looking at junior developers and you're like, yeah, I know where you are. Once you've already done that journey, usually you don't learn it on the first time that you did the journey, but usually the second time when you're moving into a completely different, you know, environment, 
you know, like, okay, I need to temper everything that's going on. This little voice in my head about like, oh, this is looking at production code and being like, oh, I would totally write this differently. Or this is, this is a crappy design. It definitely wouldn't do that. And realizing like, hey, I need to, to just chill and ask non-loaded questions about what I see and have somebody who's who probably built it really run through why they designed it that way and then learn from that and adapt. But I also really, really like your your story about what I call the the dish of humble pie that gets served that is pager duty. You don't really learn how much skill you have in software development until your code is is under support and yeah. you're the one on call. If you do that, check in a major new feature or, you know, release something new for the first time, a new application, and you're on call for the first two sprints or something, because uh, it's mostly your code that's been checked in and pager duty doesn't go off. It usually means nobody's using your code. Yeah. Um, even if you're the most senior person out there, the best developer in the world, software breaks, we're human, we make mistakes, but you can really understand the and learn from things that you mess up by just saying, like, hey, how many things actually blew up and why did they blow up? And you're like, oh, I totally missed this. And what do you see with that? When you, you mentioned at the beginning of that journey where you're like blaming other people's code because you don't understand it quite yet in that journey of with like accepting responsibility for things that go wrong when in your your blog you're talking about owning a process and that's a great way to to get advanced and that's owning the technology aspect of it and and self-teaching how to do that when you're talking about owning responsibility for faults in code and implementations what does that process look like for you know fast track to career success for me, owning you know owning the the front end as as I do, the thing that's it's really I guess made my development go a lot faster was you know when you when I you know when I feel like I own something, I feel a lot more responsibility for it, a lot more than maybe if I was just you know kind of playing a support supporting role for some other you know smaller bit of work that's being done. I think at least to me, feeling like I was the I guess it was my responsibility for something to work and for something to to go well definitely i guess it's added a lot of extra motivation i think on the other side of it's feeling like i feel like the fact that my i guess that my superiors at the time trusted me enough to basically fully manage something on my own or you know take something and try to make it work also definitely made me want to work harder to make sure that everything worked well and that I actually understood everything that was going out and that could and I could explain if they if they had any questions about it could I answer pretty much any question is there any part of this that if they bring it up you know what does this do what does that do how are we doing this why are we doing it that way why are we not doing it this way I wanted to be able to answer all of those questions because they had basically had faith in me that I could do it and I wanted to I guess, prove that I could. And I, I, you know, I wanted to, I guess, do something that worked well for them because I felt a lot of, uh, I felt very thankful that I was in a position where I had support and superiors that were willing to, you know, take a chance on me at the time. So I would say even for, I guess it could be a lesson for, you know, junior developers looking to, 
looking to increase their skills, it could also be a lesson for senior developers who maybe are too micromanaging and don't want to let juniors run with something. If mm-hmm. and, you know you're not seeing your junior developers grow as much as you as much as you might think they can, maybe it's it could also be a lesson in that case as well. That maybe it's you know maybe let go a little bit and let people feel that they have ownership and responsibility of something because they might surprise you with what they can actually achieve when when they feel like they're trusted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the that's the number one rule for effective engineering management uh, as a TL or director in engineering. If you want to see what your people can actually surprise you with, drop the leash. Give them a project that is that you know isn't outside of their capability, but is way outside of their comfort zone, that they're, they don't believe that they can do it. And if you can find strike that just that right balance of, I know this is going to be really hard for them, but I know in this process of them doing this, I'm going to give them time to not just build a great product, but to build a great version of themselves that has learned from their mistakes, has worked really hard to, to get something over the finish line. And in that process of learning all of that, they are now t- capable for that next push the envelope project. Like, hey, you knocked out of the park with this. Here's what we're working on next quarter. And you own it. Figure it out. Show me the design that you come up with. And I know you can do it. And all of a sudden, you have a whole team of people who never want to leave your team. They never want to leave the company because they feel protected and they feel like they're growing and they're they're constantly challenged and their minds are activated. So word of advice to any managers that are out there listening. Um, from the perspective of, of ICs, that are now talking with each other. I've, I personally feel like, like that's the case and managers that I've had. And I've been lucky enough in my career to have a handful of really great ones like that, that have pushed me into, you know, that pushed me into my career basically. Like, Hey, yeah, I know you're doing this, this cool thing with <laughs> scripted analytics. What about doing like some supervised learning? I'm like, what the heck is that? And like, you know, that statistical package you're using. Well, here's a different way. Like, here's a book. You got it. I'm like, wow, no, I don't, but I'm gonna I'm gonna prove to the this manager that I can do it. Yeah. And that's a that coupled with that self doubt and fear, I I think is a great motivator. Yeah, fear fear is definitely definitely a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Not external fear. The external no. fear is always bad, but that, yeah. that self doubt fear I always think is is pretty good. Yeah. It's it's in <clears throat> it's something that I've I I've coined as sort of my my career mantra is I'm in the pursuit of stupidity. I always want to be, and I try to be going into situations where I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room. And that's what excites me the most is because that's an opportunity to learn and grow and and figure stuff out. Cause that's really what's exciting. I'm sure that's probably what was exciting about, you know, for you rebuilding the entire front end for your company. It was probably a, a really enjoyable experience of, yeah, it's it feels much better now. It was uh, it was quite painful, quite painful in the learning process when I was when I was going through it. I think it became, became extra a little bit extra painful because the front end that I was actually tasked with building was quite complex in terms of how front ends actually are constructed. I went from I think I went from extremely basic to probably at the time the most one of the more complex design patterns for a front end. So it, I spent many, many long nights and weekends doing extra work to try to make sure that 
I could understand it and make sure that it all it all fit together and played nice and you know, ended up working in the end. But yeah, there's definitely there's a different feeling to or there's such a big difference from seeing something that you've built out in the you know out in the wild actually working as opposed to like from a front end perspective. There's a big difference to seeing like, oh, I worked on that function that did that thing as opposed to I built that whole page or I built that entire, you know, I built that entire part of the website. It's when you can kind of see it out there and you see people that are using it and it's working as expected. It's, you know, once you see it once, then you want to do it again and you want to get more things that you can kind of say, yeah, you know, I, I built that, that that's something that's, that I spent, you know, hours and hours getting right. And it actually ended up, it actually ended up working out amazingly enough. It actually works. <laughs> and so to me, that, that was, that's such a, that's such a better feeling than feeling like, Oh yeah, I, I worked on that small piece that it does work, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not quite the same feeling. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I will say as right. well, one of the one of the things about one of the things I, I don't know if I pointed out as well as I should in the article, but I was extremely fortunate and in a very, I think, odd position where I was I had the uh the opportunity to take on the entire front end ecosystem of my company. I don't know how many people will actually have that kind of an opportunity <laughs> to take on the whole thing. Not many. Not many. I think that part is a bit is a bit uh not the norm, but I, I hope that at least in the article itself, I hope that I point out that you don't have to take on such a major thing to get that kind of feeling that it might just be that there are smaller things that you can take ownership of and that's, you know, finding something that other people don't want to go near or other people are afraid of. Then mm -hmm. if you can, you know, find something maybe small, you might not have something as large as what I have. You can still, you know, work toward the same end in, in that regard. Yeah, I've seen the same thing at, at customers that I've interacted with uh, when I was working in the field in Databricks and in my own career. It's just seeing people like peers of, of mine at different companies or in different departments. And the people that volunteer are always happier than those that are voluntold. And the volunteers will push themselves harder and become a more well-rounded software engineer than those that respond to instruction only within their own domain. And they end up being happier and their careers usually move in myriad ways that they, not even they can expect. So final question for you, Jesse, where do you go from here? You, you've done back end, you've built an entire front end for a company. What's next for you? Well, the next thing that I've, I guess, somewhat been tasked with at the, you know, the company that I'm at, still, you know, still quite happy there. I've moved a little bit into, I guess, working with Web3 as kind of the next thing that's, I guess there's an opportunity for me to, I guess, grab onto there. There's not, you know, it's kind of a similar situation. There's not many people that are willing to, to go near it, but I think that's another piece that I'm definitely, you know, looking forward to getting more involved in because that one to me is even more, even more daunting in ways than the front end was at the time, or at least a few years ago to me. I'm definitely looking more into that. I'm doing a lot more writing as well. I'm enjoying that a lot. But yeah, I'm still 
still enjoying it. Still learning a lot in in the front end space. There's you know endless places to go there, but I've got you know plenty of avenues to go down at least for for my own learning and you know for my own my own career. Awesome. So if people want to reach out to you and find you and find your writing online, what's the best place that they can go to look? Uh, Medium is definitely the best place. I don't have any social media. That's I have a LinkedIn as well, but it's Medium and LinkedIn. If you want to reach out, those are those are kind of the two places. Uh, two places to do it. I'm a pretty regular writer on there. A lot of it, some of it is advice. I don't have as I don't write as much as advice as I do. You know, really kind of very technical front end or front end and JavaScript related topics. Mm-hmm. But those are mainly the things that that I currently write about, and I'm you know looking forward to writing more about in the future. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading some of the stuff. That's one of the things that I've I've set up for myself over the next two years is to start getting more experience with uh with front end development. Um, oh nice. As part of the the sort of the the full stack role that that we're eventually gonna be moving into on the team I'm on. Um Excellent. so yeah, so great having you on the on the show. It was really a pleasure to to talk through this process and how how it can be applied to not just the typical topic of our podcast, which is ML engineering and, and data science, but software engineering in general and really life in general. It's a way to to really gain experience. So yeah, really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me. It's great. All right. So until next time, everybody, I've been your host, Ben Wilson, and I'm joined by Jesse Langford. Please check him out at, at Medium, search for him by name. Uh, We'll also have a link to the article that we talked about today in the podcast description. And until next time, take it easy, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.